Chapter Twenty Five, Part Four of The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter Twenty Five: Reigns of Jovian and Valentinian, Division of the Empire, Part Four. When the suffrage of the generals and of the army committed the sceptre of the Roman Empire to the hands of Valentinian, his reputation in arms, his military skill and experience, and his rigid attachment to the forms, as well as spirit, of ancient discipline, were the principal motives of their judicious choice. The eagerness of the troops who pressed him to nominate his colleague was justified by the dangerous situation of public affairs, and Valentinian himself was conscious that the abilities of the most active mind were unequal to the defence of the distant frontiers of an invaded monarchy. As soon as the death of Julian had relieved the barbarians from the terror of his name, the most sanguine hopes of rapine and conquest excited the nations of the east, of the north, and of the south. Their inroads were often vexatious, and sometimes formidable. But, during the twelve years of the reign of Valentinian, his firmness and vigilance protected his own domains, and his powerful genius seemed to inspire and direct the feeble counsels of his brother. Perhaps the method of annals would more forcibly express the urgent and divided cares of the two emperors. But the attention of the reader, likewise, would be distracted by a tedious and dulcetory narrative. A separate view of the five great theatres of war. 1. Germany. 2. Britain. 3. Africa. 4. The East. And 5. The Danube. Will impress a more distinct image of the military state of the empire under the reigns of Valentinian and Valens. 1. The ambassadors of the Alemanni had been offended by the harsh and haughty behavior of Ursasius, master of the offices, who by an act of unseasonable parsimony had diminished the value, as well as the quantity, of the presents to which they were entitled, either from custom or treaty, on the ascension of a new emperor. They expressed, and they communicated to their countrymen, their strong sense of the national affront. The irascible minds of the chiefs were exasperated by the suspicion of contempt, and the martial youth crowded to their standard. Before Valentinian could pass the Alps, the villages of Gaul were in flames. Before his general, de Galafius, could encounter the Alemanni, they had secured the captives and the spoil in the forests of Germany. In the beginning of the ensuing year, the military forces of the whole nation, in deep and solid columns, broke through the barrier of the Rhine, during the severity of a northern winter. Two Roman counts were defeated and mortally wounded, and the standard of the Heruli and Batavians fell into the hands of the conquerors, who displayed, with insulting shouts and menaces, the trophy of their victory. The standard was recovered, but the Batavians had not redeemed the shame of their disgrace and flight in the eyes of their severe judge. It was the opinion of Valentinian that his soldiers must learn to fear their commander before they could cease to fear the enemy. The troops were solemnly assembled, and the trembling Batavians were enclosed within the circle of the imperial army. Valentinian then ascended his tribunal, and, as if he disdained to punish cowardice with death, 
he inflicted a stain of indelible ignominy on the officers whose misconduct and pulsomany were found to be the first occasion of the defeat the batavians were degraded from their rank stripped of their arms and condemned to be sold for slaves to the highest bidder at this tremendous sentence the troops fell prostrate on the ground deprecated the indignation of their sovereign and protested that if he should indulge them in another trial they would approve themselves not unworthy of the name of romans and of his soldiers valentinian with affected reluctance yielded to their entreaties the batavians resumed their arms and with their arms the invincible resolution of wiping away their disgrace in the blood of the alemanni the principal command was declined by Dagalaiphus and that experienced general who had represented perhaps with too much prudence the extreme difficulties of the undertaking had the mortification before the end of the campaign of seeing his rival jovinius convert those difficulties into a decisive advantage over the scattered forces of the barbarians at the head of a well-disciplined army of cavalry infantry and light troops jovinus advanced with cautious and rapid steps to scarpona in the territory of metz where he surprised a large division of the alemanni before they had time to run to their arms and flushed his soldiers with the confidence of an easy and bloodless victory another division or rather army of the enemy after the cruel and wanton devastation of the adjacent country reposed themselves on the shady banks of the moselle jovinus who had viewed the ground with the eye of a general made a silent approach through a deep and woody vale till he could distinctly perceive the indolent security of the germans some were bathing their huge limbs in the river others were combing their long and flaxen hair others again were swallowing large draughts of rich and delicious wine on a sudden they heard the sound of a roman trumpet they saw the enemy in their camp astonishment produced disorder disorder was followed by flight and dismay and the confused multitude of the bravest warriors was pierced by the swords and javelins of the legionaries and auxiliaries the fugitives escaped to the third and most considerable camp in the catalonian plains near chalons in champagne the straggling detachments were hastily recalled to their standard and the barbarian chiefs alarmed and admonished by the fate of their companions prepared to encounter in a decisive battle the victorious forces of the lieutenant of valentinian the bloody and obstinate conflict lasted a whole summer's day with equal valor and with alternate success the romans at length prevailed with the loss of about twelve hundred men six thousand of the alemanni were slain four thousand were wounded and the brave jovinius after chasing the flying remnant of their host as far as the banks of the rhine returned to paris to receive the applause of his sovereign and the ensigns of the consulship for the ensuing year the triumph of the romans was indeed sullied by their treatment of the captive king whom they hung on a gibbet without the knowledge of their indignant general this disgraceful act of cruelty which might be imputed to the fury of the troops was followed by the deliberate murder of withicab the son of vladimar a german prince of a weak and sickly constitution but of a daring and formidable spirit the domestic assassin was instigated and protected by the romans and the violation of the laws of humanity and justice betrayed their secret apprehension of the weakness of the declining empire 
the use of the dagger is seldom adopted in public councils as long as there remain any confidence in the power of the sword while the alemanni appeared to be humbled by their recent calamities the pride of valentinian was mortified by the unexpected surprisal of mogontiasm or mentz the principal city of the upper germany in the unsuspicious moment of a christian festival rando a bold and artful chieftain who had long mediated his attempt suddenly passed the rhine entered the defenceless town and retired with a multitude of captives of either sex valentinian resolved to execute severe vengeance on the whole body of the nation count sebastian with the bands of italy and illyricum was ordered to invade their country most probably on the side of Raetia. The emperor in person, accompanied by his son Gratian, passed the Rhine at the head of a formidable army, which was supported on both flanks by Jovinesus and Severus, the two masters-general of the cavalry and infantry of the west. The Alemanni, unable to prevent the devastation of their villages, fixed their camp on a lofty and almost inaccessible mountain in the modern duchy of wittenberg and resolutely expected the approach of the romans the life of valentinian was exposed to imminent danger by the intrepid curiosity with which he persisted to explore some secret and unguarded path a troop of barbarians suddenly rose from their ambuscade and the emperor who vigorously spurred his horse down a steep and slippery descent was obliged to leave behind him his armor-bearer and his helmet magnificently enriched with gold and precious stones at the signal of a general assault the roman troops encompassed and ascended the mountains of solacinium on three different sides every step they gained increased their ardor and abated the resistance of the enemy and after their united forces had occupied the summit of the hill they impetuously urged the barbarians down the northern descent where count sebastian was posted to intercept their retreat after his signal victory valentinian returned to his winter quarters at trevers where he indulged the public joy by the exhibition of splendid and triumphal games but the wise monarch instead of aspiring to the conquest of germany confined his attention to the important and laborious defence of the gallic frontier against an enemy whose strength was renewed by a stream of daring volunteers which incessantly flowed from the most distant tribes of the north the banks of the rhine from its source to the straits of the ocean were closely planted with strong castles and convenient towers new works and new arms were invented by the ingenuity of a prince who was skilled in the mechanical arts and his numerous levies of roman and barbarian youth were severely trained in all the exercises of war the progress of the work which was sometimes opposed by modest representations and sometimes by hostile attempts secured the tranquillity of gaul during the nine subsequent years of the administration of valentinian that prudent emperor who diligently practised the wise maxims of diocletian was studious to foment and excite the intestine divisions of the tribes of germany about the middle of the fourth century the countries perhaps of lucine and thuringia on either side of the elbe were occupied by the vague dominion of the burgundians 
a warlike and numerous people of the Vandal race, whose obscure name insensibly swelled into a powerful kingdom, and was finally settled on a flourishing province. The most remarkable circumstance in the ancient manners of the Burgundians appears to have been the difference of their civil and ecclesiastical constitution. The appellation of Hendenos was given to the king or general, and the title of Sisistus to the high priest of the nation. The person of the priest was sacred, and his dignity perpetual, but the temporal government was held by a very precarious tenure. If the events of war accuses the courage or conduct of the king, he was immediately deposed, and the injustice of his subjects made him responsible for the fertility of the earth and the regularity of the seasons, which seemed to fall more properly within the sacerdotal department. The disputed possession of some salt-pits engaged the Alemanni and the Burgundians in frequent contests. The latter were easily tempted by the secret solicitations and liberal offers of the emperor, and their fabulous descent from the Roman soldiers, who had formerly been left to garrison the fortress of Drusus, was admitted with mutual credulity, as it was conductive to mutual interest. An army of fourscore thousand Burgundians soon appeared on the banks of the Rhine, and impatiently required the support and subsidies which Valentinian had promised. But they were amused with excuses and delays, till at length, after a fruitless expectation, they were compelled to retire. The arms and fortifications of the Gallic frontier checked the fury of their best resentment, and their massacre of the captives served to embitter the hereditary feud of the Burgundians and the Alemanni. The inconsistency of a wise prince may, perhaps, be explained by some alteration of circumstances, and perhaps it was the original design of Valentinian to intimidate rather than to destroy, as the balance of power would have been equally overturned by the extirpation of either of the German nations. Among the princes of the Alemanni, Macrianus, who, with a Roman name, had assumed the arts of a soldier and statesman, deserved his hatred and esteem. The emperor himself, with a light and unencumbered band, condescended to pass the Rhine, march fifty miles into the country, and would infallibly have seized the object of his pursuit if his judicious measures had not been defeated by the impatience of the troops. Marcianus, was afterwards admitted to the honor of a personal conference with the emperor, and the favors which he received fixed him, till the hour of his death, a steady and sincere friend of the republic. The land was covered by the fortifications of Valentinian, but the sea-coast of Gaul and Britain was exposed to the depredations of the Saxons. That celebrated name, in which we have a dear and domestic interest, escaped the notice of Tacitus and the maps of Ptolemy. It fairly marks the narrow neck of the Cimbric Peninsula, and three small islands toward the mouth of the Elbe. This contracted territory, the present duchy of Schleswig, or perhaps Holstein, was incapable of pouring forth the inexhaustible swarms of Saxons who reigned over the ocean, who filled the British island with their language, their laws, and their colonies, and who so long defended the liberty of the north against the arms of Charlemagne. The solution 
of this difficulty is easily derived from the similar manners and loose constitution of the tribes of germany which were blended with each other by the slightest accidents of war or friendship the situation of the native saxons disposed them to embrace the hazardous professions of fishermen and pirates and the success of their first adventures would naturally excite the emulation of their bravest countrymen who were impatient of the gloomy solitude of their woods and mountains every tide might float down the elbe whole fleets of canoes filled with hardy and intrepid associates who aspired to behold the unbounded prospect of the ocean and to taste the wealth and luxury of unknown worlds it should seem possible however that the most numerous auxiliaries of the saxons were furnished by the nations who dwelt along the shores of the baltic they possessed arms and ships the art of navigation and the habits of naval war but the difficulty of issuing through the northern columns of hercules which during several months of the year are obstructed with ice confined their skills and courage within the limits of a spacious lake the rumour of the successful armaments which sailed from the mouth of the elbe would soon provoke them to cross the narrow isthmus of Schleswig and to launch their vessels on the great sea the various troops of pirates and adventurers who fought under the same standard were insensibly united in a permanent society at first of rapine and afterwards of government a military confederation was gradually moulded into a national body by the gentle operation of marriage and consanguinity and the adjacent tribes who solicited the alliance accepted the name and laws of the saxons if the fact were not established by the most unquestionable evidence we should appear to abuse the credulity of our readers by the description of the vessels in which the saxon pirates ventured to sport in the waves of the german ocean the british channel and the bay of biscay the keel of their large flat-bottomed boats was framed of light timber but the sides and upper works consisted only of wicker with a covering of strong hides in the course of their slow and distant navigations they must always have been exposed to the danger and very frequently to the misfortune of shipwreck and the naval annals of the saxons were undoubtedly filled with the accounts of the losses which they sustained on the coasts of britain and gaul but the daring spirit of the pirates braved the perils both of the sea and of the shore their skill was confirmed by the habits of enterprise the meanest of their mariners was alike capable of handling an oar of rearing a sail or of conducting a vessel and the saxons rejoiced in the appearance of a tempest which concealed their design and dispersed the fleets of the enemy after they had acquired an accurate knowledge of the maritime provinces of the west they extended the scene of their depredations and the most sequestered places had no reason to presume on their security the saxon boats drew so little water that they could easily proceed fourscore or a hundred miles up the great rivers their weight was so inconsiderable that they were transported on wagons from one river to another and the pirates who entered the mouth of the seine or of the rhine might descend with the rapid stream of the rhone into the mediterranean under the reign of valentinian the maritime provinces of gaul were afflicted by the saxons a military count was stationed for the defence of the sea-coast or american limit and that officer who found his strength or his abilities unequal to the task implored the assistance of severus master-general of the infantry 
the Saxons, surrounded and outnumbered, were forced to relinquish their spoil, and to yield a select band of their tall and robust youth to serve in the imperial armies. They stipulated only a safe and honorable retreat, and the condition was readily granted by the Roman general, who mediated an act of perfidy, imprudent as it was inhuman, while a Saxon remained alive, and in arms, to revenge the fate of their countrymen. The premature eagerness of the infantry, who were secretly posted in a deep valley, betrayed the ambuscade, and they would perhaps have fallen the victims of their own treachery if a large body of cuirassiers, alarmed by the noise of the combat, had not hastily advanced to extricate their companions, and to overwhelm the undaunted valor of the Saxons. Some of the prisoners were saved from the edge of the sword to shed their blood in the amphitheater, and the orator Simatius complains that twenty-nine of those desperate savages, by strangling themselves with their own hands, had disappointed the amusement of the public. Yet the polite and philosophic citizens of Rome were impressed with the deepest honor when they were informed that the Saxons consecrated to the gods the tithe of their human spoil and they ascertained by lot the objects of the barbarous sacrifice. 2. The fabulous colonies of the Egyptians and Trojans, of Scandinavians and Spaniards, which flattered the pride and amused the credulity of our rude ancestors, have insensibly vanished in the light of science and philosophy. The present age is satisfied with the simple and rational opinion that the islands of Great Britain and Ireland were gradually peopled from the adjacent continent of Gaul, from the coast of Kent to the extremity of Caithness and Ulster. The memory of a Celtic origin was distinctly preserved in the perpetual resemblance of language, of religion, and of manners, and the peculiar characters of the British tribes might be naturally ascribed to the influence of accidental and local circumstances. The Roman province was reduced to the state of civilized and peaceful servitude. The rights of savage freedom were contracted to the narrow limits of Caledonia. The inhabitants of that northern region were divided, as early as the reign of Constantine, between two great tribes of the Scots and of the Picts, who have since experienced a very different fortune. The power and almost the memory of the Picts have been extinguished by their successful rivals, the Scots, after maintaining for ages the dignity of an independent kingdom, have multiplied by an equal and voluntary union the honors of the English name. The hand of nature had contributed to mark the ancient distinctions of the Scots and Picts. The former were the men of the hills, the latter those of the plain. The eastern coast of Caledonia may be considered as a level and fertile country, which, even with a rude state of tillage, was capable of producing a considerable quantity of corn, and the epithet of Kruichnich, or wheat-eaters, expressed the contempt or envy of the carnivorous highlander. The cultivation of the earth might introduce a more accurate separation of property, and the habits of a sedentary life. But the love of arms and rapine was still the ruling passion of the Picts, and their warriors, who stripped themselves for a day of battle, were distinguished in the eyes of Romans by the strange fashion of painting their naked bodies with gaudy colors and fantastic figures. The western part of Caledonia irregularly rises into wild and barren hills, which scarcely repay the toil of the husbandmen, 
and are most profitably used for the pasture of cattle the highlanders are condemned to the occupations of shepherds and hunters and as they seldom are fixed to any permanent habitation they acquired the expressive name of scots which in the celtic tongue is said to be equivalent to that of wanderers or vagrants the inhabitants of a barren land were urged to seek a fresh supply of food in the waters the deep lakes and bays which intersect their country are plentifully supplied with fish and they gradually ventured to cast their nets in the waves of the ocean the vicinity of the hebrides so profusely scattered along the western coast of scotland tempted their curiosity and improved their skill and they acquired by slow degrees the art or rather the habit of managing their boats in a tempestuous sea and of steering their nocturnal course by the light of the well-known stars the two bold headlands of caledonia almost touched the shores of a spacious island which obtained from its luxuriant vegetation the epithet of green and has preserved with a slight alteration the name of erin or arena or ireland it is probable that in some remote period of antiquity the fertile plains of ulster received a colony of hungry scots and that the strangers of the north who had dared to encounter the arms of the legions spread their conquests over the savage and unwarlike natives of a solitary island it is certain that in the declining age of the roman empire caledonia ireland and the isle of man were inhabited by the scots and that the kindred tribes who were often associated with military enterprise were deeply affected by the various accidents of their mutual fortunes they long cherished a lively tradition of their common name and origin and the missionaries of the isle of saints who diffused the light of christianity over northern britain established the vain opinion that their irish countrymen were the natural as well as spiritual fathers of the scottish race the loose and obscure tradition has been preserved by the venerable Bede, who scattered some rays of light over the darkness of the eighth century. On this slight foundation, a huge superstructure of fable has gradually reared, by the bards and the monks, two orders of men who equally abused the privilege of fiction. The Scottish nation, with mistaken pride, adopted their irish genealogy and the annals of a long line of imaginary kings have been adorned by the fancy of boethus and the classic elegance of buchanan End of part fifty one